This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 17th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Senator Bernie Sanders' new Stop Bezos Act is legislation aimed squarely at large employers that employ people who receive public assistance. The act would attempt to tax away what the senator believes are subsidies to the employer. Cato's Ryan Bourne says Senator Sanders' effort, even if well-intentioned, would have the opposite of its intended effects. As members of Congress love to do, They like having the first word of every letter of a piece of legislation they file uh, form an acronym. Uh, In this case, it is the Stop Bezos Act. Uh, What what are the words underlying that acronym and what are the goals of uh, Senator Sanders in filing this legislation? Well, the Stop Bezos Act, um, <laughs> the, the acronym represents Stop Bad Employers by Zeroing Out Subsidies Act. Um, and this is part of the senator's long-running campaign uh, against corporate America over the issue of what he perceived to be worker pay being too low, um, and in particular at, at major companies such as Amazon and Walmart. So the idea um, through the bill is that you can kind of cajole businesses to pay their workers more in in terms of uh, hourly pay or or full-time pay um, by threatening them with a corporate welfare tax that would say, if you have more than 500 employees and your employees uh, are in receipt of certain federal benefits, food stamps, school meals, rental assistance, or federal contributions to Medicaid, uh, then if your employees receive those benefits, you will be taxed at a dollar-for-dollar amount for the value of those benefits. Uh, So that's at least on the face of it what he's trying to achieve with the bill. Um, I think in reality, this has got little prospect of, of passing through Congress. And so what he's really trying to do is raise public awareness of uh, what he perceives to be a big issue of low pay and try and cajole or kind of threaten businesses into into raising pay rates for their workers. So the implication here is that uh, companies, and I think they've tried similar acts with, uh, like Walmart used to be the company that was targeted in this particular way, but the implication is that instead of this company paying someone a, a wage that is whatever they're currently earning plus whatever benefits they're receiving, instead of them doing that, the government is in fact picking up the tab here and getting these people from below subsistence to a subsistence level of living. Can you evaluate that claim? So because it's implicit and some people make it explicit, they call it a subsidy to the company, but of course it's a subsidy we can all agree to the individual, not necessarily to the company. Yeah, that's right. So there's a philosophical argument here and then an economic argument. The philosophical argument is that um, in a society, we might believe that uh, people who work, or especially if they work full time, should command decent enough uh, income levels such that they're able to live a decent standard of living and uh, able to afford the necessities for a decent standard of living. Um, Now, the implicit assumption that Bernie Sanders seems to be making is that the full responsibility for achieving that social objective in a market economy uh, rests with the employer or the customers and shareholders uh, of a company. So if somebody finds themselves uh, in a particularly difficult situation, they have um, high medical bills or, or high rental payments or have lots of children, then the company should compensate them to an extent that they're able to provide Uh, for their family. Um, Now, other people would say, well, of course, 
that's completely impractical and we perhaps go into the potential un- unintended consequences of, of this particular policy because employers tend to pay workers for the work that they do and not the the circumstances that the employees find themselves in at home. Indeed, in competitive markets, we imagine that, that pay or at least total compensation uh, tends to roughly track the the, the value added, the, the productivity of, of the work being under, being undertaken. Now, I think Bernie Sanders, as it happens, uh, is completely wrong on the nature of these particular benefits he's talking about. The food stamps and school meals and rental assistance and federal contributions to Medicaid that he includes in this kind of corporate welfare tax are all means-tested benefits that, uh, that, that also apply irrespective of work status. Uh, not all of them have work requirements at the moment. So actually, one would imagine that these would um, raise market wages rather than lower market wages and subsidize companies. And the reason for that is if you if you offer people money out of work, irrespective of 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 the amount that they they work, then one would imagine that they need to be compensated more highly by employers in order in order to get them into work. So there's a reduction in the supply of available labor given the existence of means tested welfare. And as you earn more, you tend to lose some of it. So it creates a high marginal uh, tax rate on the on the employee. And that would tend to drive market wages up, not down. So if anything, uh, these types of benefits are a tax uh, on employers rather than a subsidy. There are types of welfare, uh, in-work welfare, like the earned income tax credit, that is a genuine income supplement and, and would imagine would have the opposite effect and would drive down wages. Peculiarly, though, that's not included in this bill that Bernie Sanders proposes. So I think he's wrong on the economics. But the broader question is, um, given most people involved in politics consider this aim, what is the best way of achieving it in terms of where responsibility lies? And I think this this bill has huge unintended consequences if you put the full burden of that responsibility on the employer. Yeah, that's a really uh, interesting point because uh, when when in, when economists talk about uh, the option of accepting some level of benefit or accepting a job, we this concept of the reservation wage comes into the con- conversation. And your argument, uh, in part, is that uh, Bernie Sanders has it precisely backwards that uh, these kinds of subsidies to low-income individuals actually. Uh, raises the wages that uh, companies would have to pay to attract them out of uh, receiving these benefits. That's right, yes. And as I say, there are some forms of welfare, particularly uh, welfare linked to work, such as the earned income tax credit, that do have the effect um, to a certain extent that, that Senator Sanders talks about, but they're not included in his bill. So I think he's wrong on the economics of his bill. My major concern with it, though, is that if you raise the cost of hiring welfare recipients, then there are going to be fewer job opportunities for welfare recipients. Um, and and that will precisely hurt the people that Bernie Sanders in, in other contexts uh, purports to be campaigning to help. You know, years ago in 2008, uh, Jason Furman, an economist who later worked in the Obama administration, estimated that Walmart uh, contributed several thousand dollars to the welfare of the average family. Are there any comparable estimates for a company like Amazon that that uh, Senator Sanders' legislation targets? I'm not aware of any particular estimates, but 
um, given the number of people that use Amazon on a daily basis and, and are signed up to Amazon Prime, one suspects that the consumer welfare implications are, are pretty significant. Um, it's a huge company. It tends to reinvest um, significant amounts of its retained profits into into new act- activities, broadens itself into other markets, and, and that competition drives down prices for consumers. So one would imagine that many ordinary families have uh, will see huge benefits as a result of the existence uh, of this company. Um, as I say, my main problem with this uh, legislation, though, is that uh, by making it more expensive to hire welfare recipients in the first place, companies like Amazon and uh, Walmart and others, in fact, any company with more than 500 employees, um, are going to opt not to do so on the margin. And that will have um, that will have implications for welfare recipients as a, an overall group of workers, but also will will probably lead uh, amongst low-paid uh, employees or potential employees uh, to, to companies making decisions uh, where they decide not to hire certain types of employees because they are worried that in future the cost base could be uncertain because they might be people likely to have children or likely to have uh, disabled uh, family members or, or family members with high medical bills and all of these other things, it it brings a huge amount of uncertainty to the cost base of, of these major businesses. Yeah, and there has to be some huge overlap between people who are struggling financially for whatever reason and people who are receiving these kinds of benefits that uh, essentially the, the bill, if I understand you correctly, would tell to companies like Walmart and Amazon and any any large employer, uh, if you hire these people who are struggling and, and need these kinds of benefits, you're, these people are going to be very costly for you to hire. Yeah, that's right. The bill tries to circumvent that by saying it would make it illegal to for companies to ask um, their employees about their welfare receipts or p- prospective employees about their welfare receipts. Um, but that's unenforceable in practice. And and in reality, it would be foolish for companies not to engage in significant amounts of profiling and risk analysis to be able to judge what their likely uh, costs of employment are going to be. And that could have some very uh, perverse in- in- incentives on the margin. Uh, for a start, we'd imagine that there'd be far fewer part-time uh, job opportunities in these in these companies because, on average, part-time employees tend to be much more costly in terms of the welfare payments that they're granted, and this bill doesn't differentiate between part-time and full-time employees. Um, one would imagine that that those with uh, those employees with lots of children or young women who who have the potential for, for for having children soon would find it on the margin uh, more difficult uh, to find work uh, and those living in uh, expensive areas in terms of housing costs uh, but but on relatively low incomes as well so there'll be a bias created in in hiring practices in in ways which will discriminate against people who are more likely to be on on welfare in the first place and for many people these these jobs these opportunities are a, a first or, or second step on the on the jobs ladder and taking those away makes longer term prospects much more difficult so if if bernie sanders were serious about uh helping low income people who 
uh, are potentially employed by these large em employers, what would be the policy, the single policy change that you would recommend this bill be instead of what it is? Well, I think all of the focus of major politicians at the moment is on, on this issue of poverty, in particular in work poverty, tends to focus on income levels, whether that be uh, recommendations for raising minimum wages or uh, supplementing incomes from work with government assistance. And I think that whole focus on income, as my recent paper outlined, is is misguided. And before we do anything more on that front, what we should look at is the ways that government policies across the federal, state and local government raise the cost of living for, for poorer families and families in, in difficult circumstances in the first place. So I'd like to see politicians at a national level starting a conversation about the need for land use planning and zoning reform, uh, looking at why childcare is, is so expensive and the role that certain regulations there play, and removing all of these things that currently inflate living costs and mean that people's wages uh, and, and the earnings that they get from work go go less far than perhaps they would in the absence of those misguided policies. Why uh, 500 employees? It's a nice round number, but other than that, it seems uh, fairly arbitrary. Like, Why would the minimum number of, of employees uh, for a company affected by this be 500? It's not entirely clear why the 500 employee uh, threshold is there. I think... Um, I think it's an implicit uh, acknowledgement that if this was rolled out uh, uh, through all types of businesses, it would have big implications for, for job opportunities. But I think you've hit on a key point, which this could severely uh, disrupt the structure of the business environment in the US. If you're a, a young, innovative company and you're scaling up and growing quickly, under this bill, when you go from 499 employees to 500 employees, you'd find yourself with a huge increase in the cost base. Uh, that could be due to the need to pay the tax or else the need to raise wages uh, to avoid the tax. Um, so what you're likely to see, and you see this in other countries where they have these kind of arbitrary thresholds for certain business policies, is a huge amount of bunching just below 500 employees. And that means that more broadly across the economy, companies don't grow to their kind of a most efficient scale. So not only will this hit particular large companies that already exist, but it makes the um, uh, the development of new innovative companies like Amazon less likely in future. And of course, the, the longer in the longer term, uh, once that happens and you get that huge amount of bunching below 500 employees, it's highly likely that um, politicians will come forward and say that this is a loophole and this is how firms are avoiding paying the corporate welfare tax or avoiding paying their workers more and then subsequently lower it and, and roll out these negative consequences more broadly across the economy. Ryan Bourne occupies the R. Evan Scharf Chair in the Public Understanding of Economics at the Cato Institute. You can subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 